we are going to finish something today. We're going to finish 2 Kings. We're winding down Psalms, Life of David, Israel after David, and we're getting, this is the conclusion of Israel after David, and then we've got a few more Psalms to do, and then we'll close that chapter. It'll kind of be bittersweet in a sense, because, yeah, we did it, but, wow, I'm going to miss it. So are we going to get all the way through chapter 32? <laughs> There's always somebody in there who's just trying to make fun. We are going to start in 2 Kings 23, starting with verse 21. And what we have here, we're, we're finishing up Josiah. And we, prior to this point, back in March, March 19th, we talked about Josiah, how he, how he took away the false worship and he eliminated all these things. Well, now Josiah is doing something positive that, uh, that's not prohibitive like he did before. He prohibited the false worship. But now we see a positive step, and that is to, and this surprises you if you're not you know, aware that this happened, is to restore the Passover. They had not been celebrating the Passover. So in verse 21 it says, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Now remember, he had found the book. Okay, so he was learning all this stuff. So we need to keep this Passover. Verse 22 is very interesting to me. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel. During all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. That means that like David and Solomon and Saul, I mean, all these guys didn't keep it the way it should be kept. What they did, I have no idea. But it hadn't been done. It's a very sad note that the annual Passover had not been properly kept for this massive swath of time. And by that we are keeping talking about keeping the Passover in the manner it was intended. We go to 2 Chronicles 35, starting with verse 16. It states this, So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. Verse 18, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. So it took 18 years for him to get it done, but he did it. How could that have happened? How could that have happened? They weren't following yeah. the word of God. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, that's the one thing you say is, man, that long. You know, it, it's it's just, whoa. Hard to believe. It is hard to believe. But that included the reigns of David and Solomon. Yes. Okay. What? That's what I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. Because Samuel was the one who anointed Saul as king. Now David did a lot of reforms. He did a lot of good things. Solomon built the temple, all this stuff. But they hadn't done it the way it was supposed to be done. Did they do a little Passover thing? We have no idea. Except that no Passover like it had been kept. Verse 18. So they could have had a kind of a quasi thing. We don't know. But it wasn't right, whatever they were doing. 
This is one more indication of the seriousness of Josiah to follow the command of the Lord and to take the nation back to God's commands. And Josiah did this in spite of knowing, because he was told, in spite of knowing that God's judgment of disaster would come upon the nation, regardless of what he did. It's never too late to restore proper worship of God. It's never too late. The next thing we have is Josiah eliminating the medians and the related activities. Verse 25 or 24. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. So the last reform mentioned was that Josiah had purged the land of the various mediums and necromancers. These were people that practiced communication with the dead. They practiced divination. And Josiah understood God's abhorrence of these practices and took active steps to eliminate them from the nation. What was his motivation? We see it. It says, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the prophet found in the house of the Lord. Now that should be our motivation as well. To do what? To follow everything that is written in God's book, in the Bible, without exception. Just like Josiah had that for his goal. And then I have to ask the question, is that my motivation? And if we find anything in this church that isn't there, that we're contrary to it, we got to take that out. we we, we got to change to follow everything that's written in God's book. And then in verse 25, we have a great praise for Josiah. And this was one that probably you didn't expect either. Before him... There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That means Josiah followed God more than David. He was the king that if you would say, if I'm in a measure all the kings, or grade them, Josiah would be the one that followed God the most of all the kings of Israel. Now, if you would go to most people, who is the greatest king of Israel? David would probably get 90% if he was family feud. You know? He'd get 90% of the votes or more. Right? But Josiah was the one who followed God the most. Greater than Hezekiah. Greater than David. Who is called a man after God's own heart. Who wrote so many of the texts of the Psalms. Greater than Solomon. But that's what the text said. But then it goes on with the next verse. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath which by his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house which I said, my name shall be there. So even with all that Josiah did... God did not alter his pronouncement of judgment against Judah. Now, that does not make what Josiah had accomplished worthless or without merit. No, his life and devotion to God was not wasted. 
We know that the final judgment of God is coming on this world. But anything we do to honor Him in our lifetime, knowing that it won't alter the eternal plan of God, is still worthy of every ounce of energy we can give to it and give to our great King and our great Savior. You and I, we're not going to change the world. You know, God's eternal plan will be done. But we can follow God and God will use us for his glory. Yes? Would you say that that also means that even if we eradicated uh, the civil wars that were in the USA, uh, we still may experience that? Yes. And the other thing we see about Josiah's reform, and we'll see this in just a minute, it did not last. It lasted for the reign of Josiah when his son took over. He did evil on the side of the Lord. And when his and he was only a king for like three months. And then when that son took over, a grandson, he did evil on the side of the Lord. So it was just a a bright shining moment, I guess you might say, where Israel turned. But it wasn't wasn't in their hearts because they went right back to what they wanted to and that was their sin. So um, we could, yeah, if, I mean, if there was a huge, huge uh, revival and all of America turned to God, how long would that last before the next generation would forget? We don't know. But if God has pronounced judgment, what's going to come is what's going to come. We were talking about that in the Jonah study this week about revival in the U.S. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Nineveh, Nineveh turned. For like 100 years. Yeah, but like 90, 90, 100 years later, they were as wicked as they've ever been. Yeah. So jo- Josiah's life was not a waste. It's a great example for us. And we should follow that regardless. Uh, we should follow him regardless if it makes a long-term or a short-term difference. Then we see at the end of chapter 23, we see what happened to Josiah. It says, verse 28, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? It In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo. Yeah, this is where the battle of Armageddon is going to be, by the way. As soon as he saw him, and his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo, and, was, and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Then we go on from here. Now you'll see in your notes, from here on we see the rapid decline of Judah, both politically and morally, starting in verse 31. And Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. That's not very long. And his mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So he didn't by what Josiah was doing. He didn't get it. And then verse 33. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds in Riblah in the hand of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, but laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, 
king in the palace of Josiah his father and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away and came to Egypt and, and he came to Egypt and died there. So Jehoahaz was taken away by Pharaoh Necho, went to Egypt, he died. Now his brother Jehoiakim uh, was king and it says in verse 35 and Jehoiakim gave silver and gold to Pharaoh but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh he exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment and gave it to Pharaoh Necho so now we have Josiah left Jehoahaz came in for three months. He was defeated by, or taken by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh made Jehoiakim basically a, a vassal state and taxed them for all this stuff. And you can also see that, that they were kind of tied in with the Assyrians at that time. Now from this point of time in the history of the nations, to the events, the next couple of decades, about 23 years, we are told rather quickly. It just goes through it pretty quickly. Beginning with the death of Josiah in 609 B.C. and taking us to 587 B.C., which was when King Nebuchadnezzar will come and destroy Jerusalem. So we have about 23 years there. Now, Babylon emerged at a, as, as, as a world power after the sacking of Nineveh by the combined forces of the Babylonians and the Medes in 612 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar became king in 605 B.C., and he reigned until 562 B.C. Now, we also find that after King Nebuchadnezzar died in 562, there'll be a few years when, until Babylon falls to the Persians in 539 B.C. So Babylon was a very powerful nation, but not for, not for a long, long time. So when Jehoahaz became king of Judah, it looks like he immediately changed course from his father Josiah about following God. Extremely short reign of only three months, he was still he was characterized with this ominous statement, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now if we go to Jeremiah 30, uh, 22, 13 to 17, we get a little more insight into the reign, the three-month reign of Jehoahaz. Jeremiah 22. And I'm going to start in reading in verse 11. It says, For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, or Shalom, son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, and who went away from his palace. Now, Shalom is Jehoahaz, okay? He shall return here no more, but in the palace, but in the place where they have carried him captive, there he will die, and he will never see this land again. And that's taking him down to Egypt, where he died. But then it goes on. It says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are king because you compete in you, you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy, and that was well. It is not this is is not this to know me, declares the Lord. But you have eyes, and do you do you not? Whoops! I knew I had this part. I tried to find it, and I couldn't. But I just saw it. Verse seventeen. I I doubled it on on, on my note page, so I just got to jump down so I don't read something twice. Verse seventeen. 
But you have eyes and heart for your only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. So that's what Jehoahaz did. He had eyes for his heart only, for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing and oppressing violence. That's what he was known for in three months. We also see that he was controlled by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, who made in then who made Eliakim, who we called Jehoiakim, the next king of Judah. So Necho must have had total power over the affairs of Judah. He gets to select the king, and he did. Paul House wrote that the exile of Jehoahaz my Necho and the making of Jehoiakim the next regent was, quote, possibly due to an anti-Egyptian policy of Jehoiakim with Eliakim willing to comply with all of Egypt's demands. And it looks that way. I'm going to take you out, your brother, hey, we're going to get along great. I've got all his promises, and it looks like that's what he did. So, what about Jehoiakim? Starting back in 2 Kings 23, verse 36 to 38. <clears throat> and Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Pediah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So we're back to the same old doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The trait of doing evil in the sight of the Lord will continue until the demise of Israel. <clears throat> the reforms that Josiah had were very short-lived. And again in Jeremiah 22... This time in verses 18 to 23, they give us insight into the reign of Jehoiakim. <clears throat> Starting in verse 18 here of Jeremiah 22, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or Ah, His Majesty. With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift your voice in Bashan. Cry out for Abram, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. So this is what God said to, you know, to him through Jeremiah, but he said, no, I'm not going to listen. This has been the way from your youth that you have not obeyed my voice. The wind shall shepherd all your shepherds, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Then you will be ashamed and confounded because of all your evil. O inhabitant of Lebanon, nestled among the cedars, how you will be pitied when pangs come upon you, as pain of a woman in labor. Additionally, if we read Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 1 to 24, we're not going to read all of that, is the message that God delivered to Jehoiakim through Jeremiah. But instead of listening to the words of Jeremiah, the priests and prophets told Jehoiakim, I hope I'm not losing you here, the, the priests and prophets of Jehoiakim said, after Jeremiah issued his proclamation in Jeremiah 26, he said, they said, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have seen with your own eyes. So they said, Jeremiah is telling us bad stuff's going to happen. Go kill him because bad stuff isn't going to happen. Kind of sounds like today's prophets, you know, in the NAR and all that. If you read every prophecy that these people, I've about used a, another word for them, 
uh, all these prophets, every one of them was talking about, oh, this is going to be the year of uh, restoration, or this is going to be the year of abundance, or this is going to... You don't hear one. I've never seen one that says anything about judgment. Ever. And you can look for them. Most of them are so vague, you don't know what they're saying anyway. But they're nothing about, oh, things are going to be bad. Well, Jeremiah said, hey, things are going to be bad because you're not following God. And these, the other prophets, the false prophets, so go kill Jeremiah because he's saying bad stuff. They did not kill Jeremiah, but they did not heed the words that God and God's prophets, which included Micah and Uriah. There's more than just Jeremiah who was saying this. Who, um, by the way, Uriah, Jehoiakim did kill. So he killed one out of the three. They spoke to them. Now we're going on. We see that Jehoiakim did not follow God. Now we see Babylon coming on the scene. And this starts in 2 Kings 24, verse 1 to 7. In his days, Demachadnezzar of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. And he turned and rebelled against him. So Jehoiakim rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants the prophets. So the Lord sent these armies against Judah to destroy it. Verse 3. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done. Also for the innocent blood that he has shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did are they not written in the books of the Chronicles, the kings of Judah. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come again out of his land. Why? For the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the, to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Again and again and again, we are told in both nations, Israel and Judah, that the reason for their judgment resulted in their that that resulted in their downfall each time was due to their sin and their rebellion against God. They were not conquered because of their size or their relative small size or a limited military strength, but due to their sin in not following the Lord. Now, starting with chapter 24, we see that Jehoiakim had now become a servant of Babylon. And Babylon had defeated Egypt and a remnant of the Assyrians in 605 B.C. So Babylon was now the power. Assyria was defeated. And Babylon had defeated Egypt and Assyria at a battle that's not in the Bible. But you could go and read it historically called the Battle of Carchemish. And in that battle, Nebuchadnezzar soundly defeated Necho's troops and he forced their withdrawal from Syria and Palestine. So Israel no longer had to pay tribute to Egypt because Egypt was basically out of the picture, but now they had to pay tribute to Babylon. Then, going on with Jehoiachin, starting in verse 18 of 2 Kings 24. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Another real long reign here. His mother's name was... I think the reason they put this in here, so when I read it I can mispronounce all the names. Uh, his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan, of Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
according to all that his father has done. So after Josiah, evil, evil, evil. That's what that's what we're seeing every time. Now this gets a little uh, interesting here. Verse 10. And at that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of, Babel, uh, king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord which Solomon the king of Israel had made as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and all the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land probably would have left me, right? And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. <coughs> and the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000 and the craftsmen and the metal workers, a thousand of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So Nebuchadnezzar is now in complete charge. He takes Jehoiachin captive, and he carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He cut all the pieces of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon the king had made. And it goes on. He carried away all these officials, the mighty men of valor. Now in Daniel chapter 1 verse 2, if you go to Daniel and you listen to what Scott was teaching when he taught Daniel, this is the time that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm trying to remember their Hebrew names. And I thought, anyway, I should have written them down. Mishael. Mishael, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but this is when they were taken captive. Okay? Now, the question you have to ask is, did this make the leaders and the priests and the prophets or the people turn to the Lord in sorrow and repentance? We don't see any evidence of that. Now, Daniel and his three friends, I mean, there were people who followed the Lord, but they weren't in the leadership positions, they were pretty young at that time. If anything, the rebellion against God became hardened, as we read next. Zedekiah, in his reign, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. So these are young kids, really, right? And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem all because of Nebuchadnezzar letting him. Of course, there wasn't a lot there to reign over. You know, all the, all the good stuff was taken out. Verse 19, And he did evil, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to point in Jerusalem, to the point in Jerusalem and Judah, that he cast them out from his presence. And then a very interesting thing. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Probably didn't want to pay him what he owed. We don't know. Now Zedekiah reigned from approximately 597 to 587 B.C. And we saw earlier what happens in 587 B.C. Jerusalem is destroyed. So Zedekiah is the last one before this whole thing will be destroyed. Where was I in my notes? Somewhere in here. There we go. 
we read more in Jeremiah 21. This is the word that came from Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur, the son of Malachiah, and Zephaniah the priest, son of Messiah, saying, Inquire of the Lord for us. So Zedekiah went to Jeremiah and asked him, Inquire of the Lord for us. For Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us to, according to all his wonderful deeds and make him withdraw from us. So Zedekiah is going, man, let's see. Let's go to the Lord and see if he's going to help us out of this. You notice that Zedekiah was not interested in following the Lord or going back to the reforms and the policies of Josiah. He just wanted protection. Are we going to get relief from Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians? He made the pretense of reaching out to the Lord through Jeremiah. So we can't say he was ignorant of God and who to go to. He just wanted to get the answer he wanted. As I typed that, I couldn't help but think of today's follower of God. For example, at Times Poll in 2006, more than 61%, 61% agree with the idea that God wants you to be more prosperous. There's a website called bestofchristianity.com. It wrote this, yes, God wants to see you pay off all your debts, loans, and bills. He wants to see you meeting up with the basic needs of life. His purpose for creating man was not to allow him in the wilderness to drink a cup of horrible suffering. It is out of love that he brought man into existence. And it is still with love that God wants you to prosper. In short, God is love. God is love. But boy... You know, God is not a cosmic genie. There's one NAR lady that preaches that she said that the Holy Spirit is kind of like a blue genie. But the article goes on and on. There is no mention of sin or rebelliousness against a holy God. And God is treated more like this cosmic genie. Just today, just like Zedekiah was doing it back then. I, I want to have all this stuff. Let's go to Jeremiah and see if he can get it for us. Second Chronicles 36, 12-16 adds a little more color to the reign of Zedekiah. It says, He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests of the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. So anytime you see more about Zedekiah, it just looks uglier and uglier. And then we read in Jeremiah 34, verses 1 to 22, what Jeremiah spoke to Zedekiah and told him what would happen with Babylon. A portion of that message is this, starting in verse 2, Jeremiah 34. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but you shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem. Verse 8. 
The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them, that everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. They obeyed and set them free. But afterwards they turned around and took back the male and female slaves that they had set free and brought them into subjugation, subjection as slaves. So, oh yeah, you're free. And then somehow they said, no, you're not. You're coming back. Verse 12. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Then verse 17. Again, Jeremiah 34. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty. Everyone to his brother and his neighbor, behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence, to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 20, I will give them into the, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. I will give their hand of their enemies into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. Behold, verse 22, Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. That's what Jeremiah told Zedekiah. From this passage in Jeremiah, it's clear who's in control of Judah's fate, and that is God and God alone. Now, there's a lot more information in Jeremiah. And just, we're not, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but Zedekiah heard God's definitive answer, but he didn't like it. Of course, who would like that? But he didn't. False prophets contradicted Jeremiah and preached a very favorable message, as we see in Jeremiah 23. God reiterated his message in chapters 24 and 25. In Jeremiah 27 and 28, Jeremiah comes to the king wearing a yoke around his neck as a visual of what will happen to the people that they will be taken into Babylon as exiles and hostages. Then there was a false prophet named Hananiah who took the yoke from Jeremiah and broke it, saying, this is what the Lord says. So he's being a false prophet. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of the nations within two years. The Lord then told Jeremiah to pronounce judgment to Hananiah. And he tells him, Hananiah, before the end of the year, you will be dead. And he was. And that's in verse 17 of uh, chapter 28, I believe. Then Jeremiah sends a letter to those already in exile. Remember Daniel and those people who went before. Telling them not to trust in the prophets who foretell a speedy return. He tells them to settle in, build houses, gardens, have children, to seek the prosperity of Babylon because they're going to be there for 70 years. We find that in Jeremiah 29. However, they are promised that God will restore Judah to the land, but only in his time, and that's in Jeremiah 30. And I'm not planning on going through and teaching all of Jeremiah I'd have to learn a whole lot more, but there's a lot there. There's a lot there. You do Jeremiah and Daniel, and you start tying all these things together. But a lot was going on at the very end of the, the nation of Judah. Going back to 1 Kings, 2 Kings 25, what happened? Starting in... Um, we, we saw in 2 Kings 24.20 then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. The next verse, the first verse of 2 Kings 25, we see in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar came to the king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and lay siege to it, and they built siege works all around it. Nebuchadnezzar had had enough of this guy. 
He now, he came to wipe it out. Starting in verse 2. So this kingdom, so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Now, in the ninth year he came, they sieged the city. So a year and a half or so, we don't know how long, but a little over a year, maybe two. It says, on the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine, the famine was so severe in the city, there was no food for the people of the land. That's kind of a big deal. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by the way of the gate between the two walls and by the king's garden, and the Chaldeans who were around the city, and they went in the direction of Arabah. Well, they're not going to get very far. Verse 5, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and his army was scattered from him. So rather than going down with the ship, he's trying to get away. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they passed sentence on him. Here's the sentence. And they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. I'm going to kill all your kids. That's the last thing you're going to see. And you get to remember that for the rest of your life. That's probably worse than death at the time, right? It took over a year, but the city ran out of food, and there was no way to get more. And once the wall was breached, there was no way to avoid Babylon coming in. And what would make it even worse, if that was possible, anybody that could maybe give any kind of a little defense, they scattered. The men of war attempted to flee the city. Zedekiah was captured in a treated in a barbaric manner, forced to see his children killed. Torment, terror, then captivity. In Babylon. So he was taken to Babylon. Then we see what happened after that in verse 8. In the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, it was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to, came to Jerusalem. And here's what they did. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great house he burned down. They'd already taken the good stuff out of the temple, the gold and all the stuff that had value. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were there with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, they carried off into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. So there's a few he left. Think about this. Destroying the temple. He just didn't do that in an afternoon. I mean, that took a lot of effort. We aren't told why. Probably just to just get rid of any vestige of nationalism. But Babylon was intent on breaking the will of the people. And they did that by destroying their national treasure, what brought them together to the temple. And, and we're, we're not talking just, you know, taking a little rock and pushing it over. We're talking massive rocks and even the even the the wall of the city I mean it's I don't know how they did it I don't know how they made them in the first place but then how do you tear them down but these events will become very meaningful when we go and study the books of Ezra and Nehemiah where they rebuilt the wall and rebuilt the temple this is where it all got destroyed and then we go on in 2 Kings 25 <clears throat> Verse 13, And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord and the stands in the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. <clears throat> and they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, the fire pans, also the bowls. 
What was of gold the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea, the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits and was on a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits and the latticework and pomegranates, all the bronze, were all around the capital and the second pillar of the same had the same with the latticework. Now, if we go way back, we read about in 1 Kings 7 the making of the temple furnishings at the time of Solomon. And you get the idea when they made that, how committed these people were to made them as the importance that they had. Solomon began to build the temple about 966 B.C., so this is about 380 years earlier than these events here. And for those who still worship the Lord in Judah, this was the last blow to any sovereignty as a nation that they had. And I'm sure it sent the same message to people who didn't follow the Lord. We're done. You know, this isn't the last time we hear of the items taken away from the temple by the Babylonians. Some of these things surface again in Daniel chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, where it says, And Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem be bought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple. And as he and his wives and his lords and his concubines drank from them. And then you continue to read Daniel 5. It's very worthwhile. But that's how, kind of how this all got there. Then we keep on reading in Second Kings 25. As the captains of the God took Sariah the chief priest and Zephaniah the second priest and the three keepers of the threshold and from the city he took an officer who had been in the command of the men of war and five men of the king's council who were found in the city and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land and sixty men of the people of the land were found in the city. And Nebuchadnezzar the captain of the guard took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. That's it. That's, the, that's it. We see how the Babylonians, they took the leaders, what was left, you know, how many, there couldn't have been a lot of quality left anyway, but they took it to Riblah, which was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and killed them there. And so the exile of the nation began. And it was going to continue for 70 years until Cyrus, the king of Persia, will allow them to come and rebuild the city. Then we have just a couple more verses here. Uh, there is a provisional governor government set up in verse 22 to 24. And over the people who remained in the land of Judah, the poorest of the poorest of the poor, this people to kind of do a little bit. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar had left. He appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, Ahikam, son of Shaphan the governor. Now when all the captains and the men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah governor. They came with the men of Gedaliah at Mizpah, namely Ishmael and Jonahan and Sariah and Jazaniah. And Gedaliah swore to them and their men saying, do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land, serve the king of Babylon and everything is going to be fine. So Nebuchadnezzar pointed this Gadaliah who was ready to follow whatever commands that Nebuchadnezzar said. He brought everybody in and said, follow this guy, follow Nebuchadnezzar. But they didn't like to do that. In verse seven, or verse 25 of, second, of 
Second Kings 25 says, But in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, son of Elishama of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and put him to death, along with the Jews and the Chaldeans that were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So they didn't like Gedaliah. They killed him and skedaddled down to Egypt. Then we see the last thing, and this is interesting to me. The last thing we see is Jehoiachin's fate. Remember, Jehoiachin had him and his wives, and you know they had they had given themselves over to Nebuchadnezzar earlier. <clears throat> it says in the thirty seventh year of exile, thirty seven years had passed of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon. This is post-Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had died by this time. In the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and he gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So they had a lot of kings that they had um, taken captive different areas. But Jehoiachin was given a seat above the kings who were with him. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments after 37 years. And every day of his life, he now he was 18 when he started to be king. So, you know, 18 to 37, you can kind of figure out he was getting up there a little bit. And every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table and for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. That's kind of interesting to throw that in there. He had been in exile for 37 years. Now, why did this happen? The, the answer is very wildly among commentators. Perhaps it was a glimpse of a better future that would come for the people because they could read this. We do not know, and we do know, and we don't know why, but we do know that God's promises to David are still in effect. Even with the horrific departure of the nation from worshiping God, God is in control, and he has not and will not abandon his nation, Israel. Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. God made a covenant with David. And it says, when your days are fulfilled, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after me who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So maybe this is just a glimpse. Yeah, God's, God hasn't abandoned that promise. And then we jump to Luke chapter 1, when the angel told Gabriel, or the angel Gabriel told Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And then jump forward again to Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. The Lamb of God on the throne forever and ever. It's verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. <clears throat> they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So maybe this is just a picture, a reminder. God's going to establish his throne. Through all the all the stuff that happened, it ends with 
that, you know, those few verses about his fate. We could go on and talk a lot more, but we're out of time. But what started out is this great nation to follow God. And this is how it ends. For now. Let's pray.